I'm Jody Nisnik, and you're listening to So Much More. In John 16, 12, Jesus stated, There is so much more I want to tell you. He then pointed to the Spirit as the one who would come, who would further his teaching by bringing his word to life for us. So much more creates space for God to reveal his truth through his word. Today, I am excited to have Reverend Adele Alberg Calhoun with me as we have a conversation around Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28 and what the Lord is teaching her. Adele has pastored in several different churches through the years and is currently the co-pastor of Spiritual Formation at High Rock Church in Arlington, Massachusetts. She's also written several books, including two of my favorites, The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook and The Spiritual Rhythms for the Enneagram. And as the title of her second book reveals, she is an expert in using the Enneagram for spiritual formation. She's also a trained spiritual director and has taught seminary-level courses at Wheaton College and Northern Baptist Theological Seminary. So welcome, Adele. We're delighted to have you with us today. Thank you, Jody. I'm really happy to be with you. Well, I gave a pretty generic uh, description of who you are. So how would you fill that in for us? What, What other things do you want us to know about you before we jump into this conversation? So I always find that question a little bit daunting. How do you describe yourself? Um, a sinner, you know, a saint? Where do we go? It's not really I a fair question, is it? In spades. And um, I think I have a lot of interests. I'm somebody who feels like I'm a jack of many trades and a master of none. You know, I I love art. I paint icons. I uh Paint paintings. Um, we, my husband and I, love to walk. We love to. Uh, we love music. We love to be outdoors. I love to create, decorate, design. So I feel like my right brain uh, sort of is the place that I can relax, and the left brain is always the one that's churning ideas and thinking about books and reading, and so. I, I need both sides to feel at all integrated and whole. How's that? <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. And uh, I, yes, I love how creative you are and it, it comes out in your work. So, um, well, thanks for saying all of that. So I want to give us a quick reminder about the passage we're in uh, before we dive into it. So let me read it for us again. It is Matthew 15 verses 21 through 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, 
It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. All right, so this is a bit of a challenging passage, and it has some confusing, nuanced things in there, uh, especially about dogs and throwing crumbs <laughs> on the floor. And so I think we're going to unpack some of those things as we move along in the passage. And um, I do hope you go back and listen to the meditation because I've also given you some context there. But Adele, let's go ahead and just dive in to this passage and tell me where did the Lord take you in this passage? So I I love that um, the woman says, yes, it is, Lord. Oh, that's really good. So that's what stood. That's what the Lord drew your attention to in this Lectio process. Tell me about that. Well, so often when I think of um, Jesus speaking to people, um, he's looking for people with ears to hear and eyes to see people who are receptive to his word and do his word. And here he makes a, a, a blatant statement about something not being right. And she just counters straight off the bat. Yes, it is right. What do you do? She's with that? brave and bold. That's what I keep thinking. <laughs> yeah. So as you dug into that more with the Lord, what did he and you talk about? how that pertains even to your life right now? Well, so one of the things that intrigues me about this is not just her temerity, but that she's probably the first, one of the first people in the gospels to understand a parable and to actually respond to Jesus about that parable. And she's not a Jew She's not somebody who would have known the Torah back to front. She's, of all things, a Canaanite, you know, which is like the enemy of Israel and um, not on good terms. And so you you just say, what is this about that that Jesus enters into this conversation with her and she just enters right back? I love how you have gone to the place that the woman understands the parable and they enter into this conversation. So let's keep going down that road. Tell me more about her understanding of that in this conversation that they're having. So Jesus has, you know, made a statement about it is not right to give the children's bread and toss it to dogs. So, you know, the children are obviously the Jewish people. That's his sheep, his flock the people he's called to, the mission he has, the calling that's on his life, the anointing. He is the king of the Jews. It is all about his people. This is what he's been called to do and anointed to do. And so he basically says, this is my calling. This is what I do. And then he makes a statement that is pretty categorical. It is not right for me, basically, to help you. And in Luke's translation, he basically, he doesn't put it exactly the same way. He says, um, let the children first be satisfied. So he's making a priority about who it is, but not in this passage. 
And I think for most of us, that's just so off-putting. It's like, how could he mm-hmm. do that? She's crying. She's she's all upset, you know, and here he, he just makes a, a purpose statement. And then he tells this parable, you know, even the dog, uh, it's right. It's not right. And she understands that what he's saying is not something about her being less than her being demeaned, her being called a dog in the way we think of dogs. I mean, the Gentiles were dogs to many Jews, you know, not not even human per se. But she has the temerity to say, I, I can argue that one. I can, mm-hmm. I can come back at you and say, it is right for you to do good, even to the least, even to the least. And in the, in the Luke text, he, he basically says, he says to her, because of what you've said, your request is granted. It's not in this text, but because of what you said. So to me, that's the, that's the crux right there. That gets Mm. me because of what you said. So in real time, Jesus looks like he's changing his mind based on what somebody said. Now that rocks my world. Oh yeah, that is, that's hard. So talk about that. I mean, as you've wrestled with the Lord over that, where have you landed? So it's not the only time he does that. That's where I've landed that in uh, relationships where he is talking to people, Jesus, as in his human self, is totally present and listening. He is mm. listening to what people say. He is reading their body language. He is looking at them. Are they open people? Are they people who are have ears to hear and eyes to see? Or are they going after him because they disagree? Where'd you get your authority? Who gave mm. you the power to say that and do that? He is... And here he sees a person whose heart is open Mm. and vulnerable and receptive, a person who had ears to hear and eyes to see. And in that moment, he changes his mind. And he does something that is beyond Israel. Mm -hmm. And we can say, well, it's, you know, he did come. Well, he's he's come to the Gentiles too. But if we're just looking at what the passage says, there's something here. Jesus has been in Gentile territory. He's been in Gennesaret. The scribes and the Pharisees have been following him around. And you get the sense that he's he's left to go to Tyre and Sidon because he just wants to be away from all these people who are just taking him to task every chance they get. So he's gone for some R&R. And he isn't thinking about what am I supposed to do entire inside? And he's like, oh, getting a rest from what he's been doing in other parts. Of and so I just think you get this beautiful to me, this human picture of Jesus here, mm-hmm. tired, moving away from ministry, wanting to be alone on retreat with his disciples, being found out by somebody who's got a huge need and won't leave him alone. Huh? And it isn't that he is uh, 
so if you read back even further, he's been talking a lot to the scribes and Pharisees about hypocrisy and how mm-hmm. they say what the law says one thing and do another. You have all of this sense of them trying to hold Jesus accountable for things that they um, just as legalists think are more important than love, more important than care, more important than uh, people's actual injuries and harm. And here is a person, you know, where, where Jesus, in a sense, practices what he preaches. Mm. He doesn't put even this calling above the great commandment to love his neighbor, that he integrates all these things and he holds the tensions in himself between being called to Israel and yet having a heart open enough to help this Canaanite woman. Yeah, really. It's almost reminiscent to me of when Mary asked Jesus to change the water into wine. It is. And he says, it's not, it's not my time yet. Mm -mm. And, and yet she asks and, and he does. Um, And, and this, this feels like another example where God is Jesus in this moment. Like you said, I mean, he's seeing her heart and her intention and he's responding to it. It's so human and beautiful Mm -hmm. the way you're describing that. What's the lesson for you? What's the lesson for us in that as you see it? Well, I love what you said about um, the story of the uh, water being turned to wine, because I really, Jody, I agree with you. I often ponder that passage and think, what happened between the time Jesus said, my time has not come, how long was it before he he did this miracle? And, you know, did the Holy Spirit flick him on the ear? Is it like you said, did he hear something in what Mary asked? Did he see the distress of the people that were throwing this wedding party and were disgraced by running out of wine? There, there There's this human response that comes across in these passages for me, that just is so precious because I I grew up in a in a sense having a m- much clearer picture of Jesus' divinity than of his humanity. You know, Jesus was all powerful. Jesus knew everything. Jesus could do anything, and Jesus is human and divine. He is both. So I I don't want to min- minimize any of this. Absolutely not. Right. But um, for me, at this stage of my life, I think. Jesus' human solidarity, his his ability to change his mind. That's a human thing. We change our mind, and it's not always sin. It can be lack of information. It can be, oh, this is a better choice. And the sense that Jesus just didn't go through life like an automaton who always knew what he should say and do and never had to think about how to respond to people. That humanity of Jesus is a thing that makes me feel like I have a God that is truly in solidarity with me, who understands me and my weaknesses, Mm -hmm. who understands the the tough choices I have when I'm faced with being asked to do things that I feel like I don't have the bandwidth or I don't have, he's real. And he doesn't always respond the same way. It isn't like, the way he responds here is not a paradigm for every other decision in life, but it is part 
of what it is to be mm-hmm. human. Yeah. It's, it's making me think too, of even just prayer and how we even approach God. Um, you know, and scripture tells us to ask boldly. And a lot of times we don't have, because we've never asked him. And of course it's all within his will. And this obviously fell within the will of God, what she was asking for. Mm -hmm. And because she came to him so boldly and because she understood actually who he was, which is surprising as you brought out as this Gentile Mm -hmm. woman who was not trained in the Torah, uh, she did kind of press into him and she was bold and she was brave. And like, I'm, I'm feeling so encouraged actually in my, in my prayer life, right now to just be more bold because God does actually, like Mm -hmm. you just said, he totally empathizes with us in our human frailty and weakness and the challenges that we have. And, um, you know, we can't, like you said, we can't divide his, his humanity from his deity, but we also can't neglect his humanity for his deity. Um, and so, that's, that's what it's bringing to mind for me as you're talking is just an encouragement for how I approach God and to, to be a little bit more like this Canaanite woman. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it's the same. I think of Jesus in the garden of yes. Gethsemane, you know, asking God for an 11th hour rescue when he's already said multiple times in the gospels, you know, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die at the hands of the religious Mm -hmm. establishment. He has said this, he knows it's his call. And here there are so many 11th hour rescues in the old Testament. Was that outside the bounds of his thinking humanly speaking at that moment? Maybe there's an 11th hour rescue here, please. Abba. If there is one, please, please. Now it's <laughs> yes. And in fact, I'm going to ask you multiple times for it. <laughs> and the fact that he would pray for it and ask other people to pray mm-hmm. for it. I just think, what does this tell us about mm-hmm. God and God's delight in our humanness and his re- receiving and taking on of our humanity and his solidarity with us? Mm-hmm. It's just That gives everything in my life some place to land, some meaning. Jesus' life sort of becomes the lens through which I interpret what happens in my own life. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's why I think the relationship we have with him is so important. There is no formulistic way of living with Jesus. It is us and our humanity you know, coming to know him more and more and laying ourselves down before him over and over and over again. Um, and him receiving us every single time, which is just such a beautiful part of our relationship with the Lord. We come to such a loving God. And it's interesting because in this passage on the surface, without knowing exactly what all the parable is and what Jesus is saying, it feels harsh. It feels like, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't respond to her and she's persistent. And the disciples are like, get rid of her. And she comes and falls before him. And and then he seems to have this weird, almost harsh response, but it's never, that's why we have to peel back the layers 
and sit in the text and really understand not only the context, but the heart. Um, and so that that's really helpful for me in this passage. Thank you for bringing all of that out. I have pondered too how in verse 23, it says, you know, when she's talking to, or, you know, uh, I imagine her being outside, Jesus is in a house, in the other text, and, you know, she's crying, help me, help me on the app. And just that sense of, you know, you can feel like this is, this is my time with God. This is my time with my disciples. This is not, you make people make limits. Jesus had times he went away. There are times, and yet he's very, uh, there are times he also breaks his own limits. You know, the, even the feeding of the 5,000. It sends the disciples away to get a rest. You know, just this sense of how he re- he sends the people away because he needs to do that and let them go. And so he has this the sensitivity to people, but he also knows something about his own limits. Yeah. He didn't answer a word. And I can imagine that. I can imagine enough asks that you just think, you know, maybe this person will just go. <laughs> if I don't respond, maybe they will just go away. And sometimes they do, right? Yes. Sometimes they do. So I wonder if he, if he, I think about, so what I feel like these texts do is they invite me to have these conversations with Jesus where I'm saying, okay, you know, I, I have felt like people are wanting too much of me and I draw away Mm -hmm. and I don't answer a word. And then people come along, including my daughter and will say things like, mom, you need to do that. Or my husband will say, no, you should do that. Or somebody else will come along and like share a lackey and say, no, you should do that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes they're God's word to me. Sometimes that's how I hear this is a time to pay attention. And I don't always come into that moment with what I'm going to call a lot of grace and openness. I come in obedience. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like maybe here's Jesus. He's coming in obedience just the way we do to his father. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. He's sort of almost talking to himself. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. I have this big agenda. I don't know if it's even aimed at her. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think we can know, but for me, it's like, I hear that. And I think he, he is thinking about his call. Yeah. He is there wondering, he's just been in Gennesaret, you know, is that the place I'm supposed to be? What is it about? So we all come into relationships with others, bringing the things that are in our minds Mm-hmm. So this may be way too off the mark, but it just to me is like it gives me permission to to bring my human self. And if people are open, and I'm open, mm-hmm. great faith could happen. Yeah, and I think I, it's it's interesting where I started to go with when you started down that path about Jesus not speaking a word. I thought, how many times do we show up? and need God to respond to us. And he feels Mm -hmm. silent. That's great. Mm -hmm. So on the other side of that too, 
you know, and I, and so that's where I started going is, and, and how we need to model our lives a little bit more like she did Mm -hmm. and be persistent and keep showing up and just, and not give up on showing up (laughs) That's right? because there will be days when our time with the Lord feels vibrant and alive and, um, you know, and, and it feels like the spirit's just speaking to us loudly through the text and through his people or through any of his creation. And there are times when it just feels like, where, where are you? I, I can't find you today. And he's still there and we have to trust it. So that's where, that's where I started going when you started down that road. And I think, I think they're both applicable, which is, which is another, mm-hmm. another thing I love about God's word and it being living and active is he's leading us in all of these different places through the truth of his word and, um, and helping us become more like him, learn more about who he is and learn more about Mm -hmm. who he's created us to be. Well, and even the woman, you have great faith. I mean, he says that to multiple women in scripture. He he says it also about um, a Roman centurion. He doesn't Mm -hmm. say it about many of the, of his followers. (laughs) you know, his disciples and people, he, he's always uh, astonished when he finds it in these, these people who are on the margins. But I think, you know, as you said, great faith could be, she persisted. Great faith could also be hearing a parable, you know, and just like a mom who cares about her daughter, just coming back with taking the risk that that Jesus is compassionate and merciful, just risking complete vulnerability mm-hmm. you know, to talk to a rabbi like that. It's just, and then he, he says, that's great faith. And it, I think we think of great faith, you know, as believing many big things and great faith, maybe just being persistent or coming to God with your, with your very honest responses. I don't like what you just said. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and have a conversation with me because I really don't like what you just said. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I 100% agree with you. And we see that in the Psalms over and over again. That's right. <laughs> I do not like this, Lord. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, so good. All right. So I want to transition us to talk about something else that I didn't actually use in your introduction, but I am fascinated by, and I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about it. And that it is that you lead spiritual pilgrimages. So tell us a little bit about what that is and that process. So one of the things that has been uh, a great gift to my spiritual life has been uh, the historic streams of the Christian faith. And so part of my own growth has been exploring the sort of the discipleship practices of the people of God throughout the history of the church. Pilgrimages have been one way that I have explored the spiritual practices of other ages in other parts of the world. Early 2000s, I, my covenant group, and I went uh, to Spain to study the Spanish mystics, and we took a group of people with us. And in the past 12 years, we have uh, led groups to Italy, where we look at how the lives of St. Benedict and his sister, uh, St. Scholastica, 
and then St. Francis and St. Clair, the Franciscans, impacted in their generation the way the gospel was taught. So we lead that pilgrimage still, as well as a Celtic pilgrimage and the Celtic church from about 300 to mid 600s is just a beautiful, beautiful expression of a Trinitarian incarnational openness to, it's just a beautiful Mm -hmm. expression of a life that is lived in the presence of God. And so we've been leading pilgrimages that are about the evangelization of England. And so on a pilgrimage, I'm assuming you're going to these locations and, and studying in the spaces and, and seeing some of these places. Is that, is that accurate? So when we did Spain, we were in a bus and we traveled from place to place because we couldn't stay in one place, but the more, I've thought about what it means to actually um, internalize things. There needs to be space and packing up a suitcase is more like a tour to me. And so what we do is we try to, to um, run these pilgrimages as retreats. So we may travel Mm -hmm. one day to see a site, but the next day is a day of quiet and contemplation, perhaps some study small groups. We pray the hours. We pray morning prayer, noonday prayer, uh, evening prayer and Compline. You know, we have a rhythm for life. So you're coming back to your own room. You can rest and lean into spiritual practices. So um, it's not, it's not so much travel and we believe seeing less is better than seeing more. Yeah. Seeing less and experiencing God more. Well, Adele, uh, tell people where they can find you or even find out more about some of the things that you're doing, even even those pilgrimages. So we have a website, calhounministries.org or .com. I should know, but I can't be here. <laughs> I'll link it. No worries. <laughs> and that has various uh, things that we're doing. Perfect. Adele, it has just been really fun to have this conversation with you and to discuss Matthew 15 with you and to hear where the Lord led you. And just, I feel like my walk with the Lord has been encouraged through this conversation. So thank you. Well, then you have ears to hear. (laughs) Your heart is prepared ground. (laughs) I rejoice. (laughs) I do too. (laughs) Well, it truly has been a delight. It has been a delight. And I also want to thank you all for joining me and Adele on so much more today, where we do believe that Jesus does have so much more to say to us. And we are creating space to listen. In a recent survey, parents reported that 52% of homeschooled children need learning accommodations. These parents need practical advice, encouragement, and hope to fuel their homeschooling efforts. The Empowering Homeschool Conversations podcast is where parents gain wisdom on how to teach unique learners successfully at home, like Laura, who recently told us, I needed this episode. I don't need a fancy curriculum or need to be a special ed teacher to teach my son. You have given me hope. To listen now, go to Life Audio or search Empowering Homeschool Conversations on your favorite podcast app.